Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, it's great to see you guys. I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church. Welcome to our online campus. And if you're with us for the first time, man, thanks for taking time out of your week to be with us today. We're finishing up a series that we've been in. This will be the fourth week called Follow the Leader. And what we've been doing in this series is learning leadership lessons, life lessons from the life of Christ. Looking at the life of Christ, how he handled things, and learning things that we can be the better leaders that God calls us to be. And we established week one that we're all leaders, right? Because if we have influence, we're leading. Anytime you have influence over another person, you're leading them. And I know sometimes people get scared thinking about, well, I'm, you know, God's calling me to lead this or God's calling me to lead that, even if it's just your family. But know this, God's not going to ask us to lead something or to do something that he hasn't given us the ability to do, right? He's going to give us the ability to carry out whatever it is that he wants us to do in and with our life. The problem is when we get those influence opportunities or those leadership opportunities, then Satan is going to try to get you to use those opportunities for your own benefit, right? For your own advancement, for your own comfort, for your own security, instead of whatever it was that God wants you to do and gave you the ability to do. We see this all the time in culture. We see it in the, in the financial world, the political world, even in uh, the, the church world, in relationships, with, with sports, you know, people, instead of using their abilities for, you know, God's purposes and God's glory, they use them for, the, for themselves. So this is going to be a big temptation that we have when we go through life. When we get these chances to influence others and lead others, the temptation is going to be, I'm just going to use this for my benefit. So as we finish up this series today, what I want to do is I want to look at the temptations of Jesus. Because I think if we look at the temptations that Jesus faced while he was here on this earth, we can learn several key leadership lessons in our own lives and where we're going to be tempted. So what we're going to do is we're going to look in the fourth chapter of Mark, and the passage starts out in Mark, or Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. And it says this, and if you want to follow along any time with our learnings or our verses and what verses we use, you can scan one of the QR codes on the side screens, uh, but better yet, download the Church Center app. It always has our notes on it, and you can stay in touch with the church. But those are there for you to use. But Matthew 4.1 says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. So that's kind of the start of these three temptations that we're going to look at today. But before we jump into that, I'm going, to, I'm going to throw it into reverse, and we're going to back up a minute. And I'm going to ask you a question. What happened, and I don't expect you to answer, but what happened right before Jesus was led into the desert to be tempted? Jesus was baptized. And let's look at that real quick. Matthew 3.16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water... The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, 
this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So right before Jesus is led into the desert to be tempted, he's baptized by John the Baptist. It's this perfect picture of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what I want to draw your attention to is simply the timing of this temptation. Jesus goes through his baptism. There's this major spiritual high for people that are there witnessing it, for everybody involved, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And right after that, he's led to be tempted. Spiritual high and a spiritual low. This is how our life is going to be. This is how the journey of our life is going to be. There's going to be these great times that we have with God, and then all of a sudden there's going to be this really low in our life. There's going to be the mountaintop experiences in the valleys. You hear people talk about this all the time, but it's true. I mean, it happened in Jesus' life. It's going to happen in ours. Our spiritual journey isn't just always this uphill climb, right? Sometimes there's those lows and those highs that we have to go through. Jesus was no different. But right after the temptation, so he's baptized before these temptations, then he's tempted, and then what happened after he was tempted? Jesus started his earthly ministry. In other words, an incredible leadership opportunity. So you're going to see this pattern in your life. You're going to have this, this low time, this time of tempting, this time of trial, testing, tribulation, and then there's going to be another opportunity to do something magnificent or marvelous for God. So just know we're going to be on this, this kind of ride on this spiritual journey. So what I want to look at specifically is these three temptations in Matthew chapter 4 because there's leadership lessons, there's influence lessons that we can, we can learn, specifically where we're going to be tempted in life, especially when we lead. So if you're taking notes or following along, learning number one, when we're leading, our maturity will be tested. When you're leading other people, when you're influencing other people, the maturity of yourself is going to be tested. And really what I'm talking about is our emotional maturity. Do we have the maturity to overcome the temptation? Do I have the emotional maturity to forego the pleasure, the gratification, the satisfaction that this temptation is offering me? Do I have the ability to overcome that in order to do God's will and purpose in my life? In other words, can I be inconvenienced? Can I be discomforted? Can I forego whatever short-term pleasure or satisfaction I'm being offered and overcome this temptation? Problem is, that's very difficult for us to do because we lack emotional maturity and we live in a culture that lacks emotional maturity, right? We live in a culture where people do not want to wait on anything. We don't want to delay satisfaction. We don't want to wait on God's timing. We want gratification, and we want pleasure, and we want satisfaction right now. Case in point, think about sex. Half of y'all in the back just woke up. Hey, I'm Scott. Welcome to Blue Ridge Church. It's good to see you today. But no, think, think about sex. We hear people argue, well, why should I have to wait until I'm married to have sex? which that's God's guideline, right? Why should I have to wait? You know, I want that satisfaction now. I want that pleasure now. Or, you know, I want to buy this. I, I want this. You know, I don't have the money. I haven't saved the money, but I want it now. So we put it on a card or we finance it and we get ourselves in 
debt, when we can't deny ourselves immediate gratification, immediate satisfaction, immediate pleasure, often we get ourselves in trouble, but that is the definition of emotional immaturity. And it's going to be a great area of temptation for us. Many of the problems that we face in our life, many of the problems that we've had in our past is because we couldn't wait, right? We couldn't delay what we wanted. We wanted it there. I mean, our country's the same way. Look at our national debt. Look at how much trouble we're in financially as a country. Why? Because we can't wait. I want it now. I want to spend it now. I want to do this right now. There's no accountability. So to be a good leader, we have to have emotional maturity. And guess who the example is to follow? Jesus for emotional maturity. And that's what we're going to see where he was tempted in this first temptation. Matthew chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. Talking about Jesus. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The Scripture says people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is so typical of Satan. He hits Jesus at his lowest. That's when he hits us a lot of times is at our lowest. You know, Jesus is tired. He's hungry. He's probably lonely. And so Satan tempts him at his lowest. He says, why don't, why don't you just do a miracle? Why don't you just turn these rocks, these stones into bread? Which Jesus could have done that, right? We've seen the, the miracles that Jesus performed. And, and people say, well, what would have been wrong with that? You know, he's hungry. It's not a sin to eat. But the problem is Jesus was being tempted to use those abilities that God had given him for his own benefit or for selfish reasons. The same temptation we're always going to face in life. Am I going to use what God's given me simply for myself? Or am I going to follow his will and his purposes? See, God didn't give Jesus these miraculous working powers just so he could be comfortable and just so he could take care of himself. And the same is true of us. Look at 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So the gifts and the abilities and the resources that God's given us, it's not simply for our own benefit, right? It's for the benefit of others. It's for the benefit of his kingdom. And and something else we need to understand looking at this temptation, Satan doesn't just tempt us in our weaknesses, like he did Jesus here when he was just, just so low. Satan tempts us in our strengths because he doesn't mind when you or, or I use our gifts and abilities for ourselves, you know, to make ourselves more popular, to make ourselves wealthier, to make ourselves, you know, more comfortable or to make ourselves more important. He's fine with that. He, sometimes he doesn't even have to tempt us when we're weak. He can just tempt us when We're on top of the world. Hey, just keep doing that. Keep going after that. You're doing great. But our gifts and our abilities aren't for our benefit. Think about it like this. You could be really persuasive. You could use your persuasiveness to manipulate people, 
or you could use your persuasiveness for God's glory in God's kingdom, right? You could be really good at sports. You could use your ability on the field to, to point people to Christ for his glory and, and joy or, you know, kind of stroke your own ego. Satan doesn't mind us using our talents if we're using them for ourselves. And God says, no, I don't mind you using your talents either, but use them, don't use them for the wrong reason. Now, not only was this a temptation for Jesus to use his abilities, you know, for selfish purposes, it's also a temptation to not wait on God to meet his needs, right? And aren't we always tempted to do that, to take matters in our own hands and meet our own needs? I mean, Satan comes to him and says, hey, you're hungry, you're tired, take care of yourself. You know, nobody's going to take care of you. you got to take matters into your own hands. And that's what we're often tempted to do, satisfy our own desires. This is the desire I have now. I'm going to satisfy it myself. Problem is, often when we go around God, we end up going outside of God's boundaries, and we fall into that temptation, and we sin. And the temptation's always going to be to to take matters into our own hands instead of fully relying on God. And I get we've got unmet needs, right? We've got unmet, maybe you got unmet emotional needs or unmet relationship needs or unmet, you know, financial needs or whatever they are. We got to ask ourselves, am I trying to meet those needs myself and often going outside of God's boundaries or am I willing to wait on God? Because God promises throughout the entire scripture that he will meet our needs. So we got to be careful not to bypass what God's going to do. And that's what Satan was trying to get Jesus to do. Just bypass God and meet the needs yourself. God's just waiting on us to trust him to meet those needs. We simply have to trust him when things don't make any sense in our life, that he is truly going to come through on his promise to meet our needs. Look at Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Scripture says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So the challenge is, God says, if you will put me first place in your life, if you will put my kingdom and my purposes as the number one thing in your life, I'm going to meet all your needs. Problem is, if we were real honest, most people don't have God first place in their life. As a matter of fact, we don't have God first place in any area of our life a lot of times. And and that's a condition for him meeting our needs. So let's go back to these temptations. And again, we're going to look at the second one in the third one, but again, I'm going to kind of jump around, and I want to go to the very end after these three temptations are done, and I want to show you what happens, because we need to make that point right here. Matthew 4.11, then the devil went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. So this is after the three temptations. And what's interesting, what I want to point out is God waited till after the testing. God waited till after the temptations to provide and to answer to Jesus' need. He sent help, right? But it was after 
the temptations. And we, we don't like to hear that. We, we wish I wasn't going to make this point today, but that's exactly the same with our life. God's possibly waiting to see, are you going to wait, Scott, for me to meet your needs? Are you going to trust me to meet your unmet needs? Or are you going to bypass me and do them yourself and go outside of my boundaries? So just know that a lot of times we have to go through the temptation or through the testing or through the trial before God meets our needs. And again, we're going to grow through that if we can make it through it. All right, here's the second area we're going to be tempted. Learning number two, when called to lead, our integrity will be tested. What's integrity? Integrity is when, you know, your beliefs match your actions, right? What you say and what you talk about and what you promote all the time, your actions, you know, correspond or your behavior corresponds. Integrity is doing what you actually say that you're going to do. You don't act one way at church and a different way at home. You don't act one way at home and a different way in the workplace. When we have integrity, we're consistent, right? We're consistent in life. So what's the biggest temptation or the biggest test when it comes to our integrity? And it's going to be success. When you become successful as a mom, as a dad, as a leader in school, as a leader in the business community, you know, when you hit success in your life, that's going to be the biggest challenge or the biggest temptation on your integrity, to forego your integrity to keep getting that success. Because when you hit success, maybe it's financial success, what happens? The spotlight is on you, right? And when the spotlight's on you, you can see all the ugly stuff, right? So, you know, a biggest test of our integrity is going to be when we're successful. And the problem is when most people are successful in life, it changes them. And often it doesn't change them in a, in a positive way. And with that success comes benefits and perks. And again, the temptation is to use those things or to misuse those things and use them for ourselves. And so this is really the second area that Satan tried to tempt Jesus. Let's look at verses 5 through 7 of Matthew 4. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scripture also says, you must not test the Lord's your God. Now, Satan knows God's word, right? He just often twists it a little bit to say something that God never said. That's what cults do. They'll take one little thing and they'll twist it a little bit and God never said it. Now, he makes a statement here, which is right. He will order his angels to protect you. But the intent of angels protecting us is not when we make some dumb decisions or choices in our life that wasn't at the direction of God. What Satan is suggesting here to Jesus is, hey, you, put, you hold God hostage. That's what he's doing. You test him. You hold him hostage. You see if he's going to come through for you. You prove that you are God's son. 
in life, we got to know, is God calling me to do this or is God not calling me to do this? He's not some vending machine. We can just start pulling levers and get whatever we want or, or to bail us out of every dumb decision that we make in life. The other part of this temptation, Satan's trying to get Jesus to draw attention to himself, to make it all about him at this point in his ministry. And when you think about it, isn't that a big temptation when we reach success, which is that biggest test of our integrity, or when we're leading other people, you know, to take the credit, to take the success for ourselves. You hear politicians do this all the time. Oh, I did this, and I did that, and I accomplished this, and I accomplished that. No, you didn't. You had a whole team of people around you, a whole staff that helped you to achieve this this thing that you've achieved in life. So we got a caution against what God has given us, again, those abilities, talents, resources to gain success or call it the acceptance and the approval of others. In other words, am I using what God's given me to to bring value and accolades to myself or to glory to God? Anytime we're tempted in life, whether it's maturity, which we've talked about, or whether it's integrity, what we're talking about, anytime we're tempted, it's always a shortcut. Just remember that. When you face temptation, just there should be a little trigger that goes off in your mind. This is just a shortcut. This is just a shortcut. It could be a shortcut to a legitimate goal, right, to have a need met, to, but the temptation is going to be to compromise our integrity and take that shortcut. But temptation is always a shortcut. And when we try to draw attention to ourselves, when we hit success and keep getting those accolades for ourselves, it's only going to lead to selfishness in our life and pride in our life. And again, that's not the direction God wants us to go. I love Proverbs 27, 21. It says, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised right, when they're in that spotlight, when they're getting the accolades and the honor and the achievements, that is the biggest test of our integrity and our character. So how do we handle it? How do we handle success when it comes our way? Because there's a lot of successful people here in different areas of life. We all have successes in different areas. How do we handle it? Galatians 5.16, my counsel is this, live freely, animated, and motivated by God's Spirit, then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. I love that. In other words, listen to God's voice instead of listening to other people's voices and what other people say. Don't listen to popular uh, opinion. And then the next thing, if we're listening to God, He calls us to be humble. And humility helps us with our integrity as well, doesn't it? Humility helps us when we gain that success. Instead of taking it all on ourselves and a credit for ourselves, we we pass it off to others. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up in honor. God says, I'll bring you to a position of importance. Just humble yourself. And humility is not denying that you have strengths. We all have strengths that God's given us. It's just being well aware of what your weaknesses are. Humility really could be summed up in another word, dependence. 
when you're a follower of Christ. God, I can't lead. I'm dependent on you. I can't lead my family without you. I can't lead my children without you. I can't lead in my work without you. I can't lead in school without you. I can't lead in the community without you or in the church without you. So we're going to be tested in our maturity. We're going to be tested in our integrity. And then here's the final one, learning number three. When called to lead, our priorities will be tested. Matthew 4, 8 through 10. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. In other words, there is nothing else worth worshiping except for the Lord. And notice, every time Jesus fights these temptations, what does he do? He responds with Scripture, right? That's how you fight temptation. It's not by your own strength and your own power. You fight with God's Word. That's what I, I encourage people, I don't care what you're struggling with, and, and we have different struggles every day, memorize a verse for what you're struggling with. Right? If you're struggling with greed, memorize a verse on generosity. If you're struggling with pride, memorize a verse on humility. If you're struggling with anger, memorize a verse about listening and, and controlling your tongue. If you're struggling with health, memorize a verse on comfort. Or struggling with fear, a verse that, you know, fear isn't from God. Anytime we know God's Word, when that temptation comes our way, we can say, wait, 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 wait a minute, that's not, that's not what God says. That's not what Jesus did when he left his life. But this temptation that we're looking at, the devil comes up to Jesus and basically says, I will give you everything from a worldly perspective. I will give you all the wealth in the world, all the power in the world if you'll just worship me. And we think, wow, you know, that's, okay, that's interesting. But that is the exact temptation that we all face in life. And this is probably the biggest temptation we will face in life, to worship something other than the Lord, especially when it comes to wealth and to money. And I'm not going to, you know, stand up here and preach about money, but this is what this temptation is about. And often in life, we get so distracted away from our spiritual journey because we're going after wealth or we're going after, you know, control, or we're going after, you know, more things. And the temptation's always going to be to compromise our purpose and our mission that God has given us for the sake of something like wealth. I mean, that's what Satan's offering Jesus. I'll give it all to you. Look at all these worlds. Look at all this. A couple chapters later from this temptation, Jesus brings up this whole topic again. And listen to what he says, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. For you cannot serve both God and money. We can't worship God and wealth at the same time. And what is the answer 
to this temptation. It's generosity, right? Generosity is the antidote to greed or to the love of wealth or the love of money. And this is something where I think the church, not this church, but the church in general has gotten off track, you know, in years past. They always say, well, you know, money's the root of all evil. Wealth is the root of all evil. No, it's not. It's the love of money and wealth that's the root of all evil. Why? Because we're not worshiping the only thing that's worth worshiping, and that is the Lord. You can actually have a ton of wealth, a ton of money, and be generous and and not struggle at all. The the passage that Cody brought up last week about the rich man and, and how Jesus came to him and said, you sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. Because he struggled with worshiping his wealth. God doesn't call all of us to sell everything that we have and give it to the church or to give it to the poor or to give it here. It's just this guy was struggling with that. He didn't have his priorities right. The only true thing worth worshiping is God. Now, why do do you think God calls us to generosity in life? We know that. We've talked about that. We've done series on generosity. We'll do them again. But why do you think God calls us to be generous in every area of our life, but especially with things like wealth? Because he knew materialism and wealth was going to probably be, and it is, the biggest barrier that gets in our way with our relationship with God, right? It's the biggest thing we struggle with because everything in our culture is built on it. That's why 1 Timothy says this, 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So, what, let me sum this up. First temptation is going to be maturity, right? I can delay the satisfaction. I can delay the immediate pleasure in sake of waiting for God to meet my needs. The second temptation, you know, is that God's not going to take care of us, right? That, you know, we need to get ahead of God. We, we need to you know, use our integrity for ourselves and not for God's glory. It's second temptation is to jeopardize that integrity and that influence and that leadership that we have over other people. And then the third temptation is to keep God as just a piece of our life, one area of our life, that there's other things out there that are worth worshiping more than Christ. That's the temptation. That'll always be the temptation. And for you, it may not be power, or it may not be wealth, or it may be money. It may be something else. But bottom line, God's the one that should get our attention. God's the one that should get our priority in our life. So why why is it so important to know how to respond to temptation? Luke chapter 4, verse 13. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Key phrase, until the next opportunity came. Folks, Satan never quits. He's never going to leave you alone this side of eternity. So we have to be prepared. We don't have to be intimidated. It's not a sin to be tempted. We're going to be tempted all throughout our lives. We just have 
to fight back. And we fight back with God's word and staying on point and trusting God and waiting on him to deliver in whatever area of our life we're waiting on him to deliver. And and haven't you always thought of temptation as something that's bad, a negative, right? I'm going to propose that it can also be something that's positive. And all of you are thinking, okay, here comes the Kool-Aid. This dude's lost his marbles, right? But it's not always a negative. Think of it as a positive. If I can get through this temptation without sinning, right? If I can overcome this temptation by fighting Satan's tricks and, and overcoming with God's word and knowing what God's plan and purpose is for my life, what's going to happen? Your faith is going to grow. My faith is going to grow. We're going to strengthen in our faith when we overcome those temptations. And isn't that what pleases God? It's our faith that we trust in. And he wants our faith to grow. So don't always look at it as a negative. Every time you're able to fight that temptation, boom, did it again. Beat that temptation, your faith's going to grow. And Hebrews eleven six 6 says this, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Every time we overcome a temptation, our faith is strengthened and our faith pleases God. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that such a practical example, Jesus, that we can follow and how you overcame the temptations in your life, and you, you didn't let it lead to sin. And you fought with your word, with God's word. Help us to be prepared, to never be caught off guard. Lord, help us to, to trust you completely, that you're going to provide for us, you're going to meet our needs, that we may have to go through these trials and these tribulations, but we're going to come out stronger on the end. Lord, thank you for these people. Thank you for this church what you're doing in and through our community. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Amen. So the Forever Friends group is set up in the lobby at one of our group tables. If you want more information about participating in that group or you know somebody that would like to participate or you want to serve in that group, I want to encourage you to to stop by. You will not feel any more love anywhere else in the entire world other than going to that group. It's absolutely incredible. Those of you that have signed up to do trunk or treat, either to do a trunk during trunk or treat or to volunteer and be a runner that evening, they're going to have a group meeting today right after the 11 o'clock service, so about 12 o'clock here at the church. I hope you have a terrific rest of your Sunday. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, Bring a friend next week. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.